0: And now it's time for us to discuss more of these headlines and simple keywords with Adam joining us via Zoom. Good morning, Adam. Good morning, leader. Happy Hunt Day. Happy Wednesday to you, too. All right, so it seems that leading up to this moment, there was a lot of murmurs of who will be taking part in its commemorative event. We have some news. Let's get started. This is our first keyword of the day. Korean War Diplomacy. So President Yoon Song yeol has met with Prime Minister of Luxembourg Xavier Bettel and the Governor General of New Zealand, Dustin De Kiro. They are in the country to commemorate 70 years of the ceasefire of the Korean War. There are, of course, many other commemorative events, but this one, as far as diplomacy is concerned, it seems to take the cake. So what was discussed?
1: Right. So, in his talks with Patel, Yoon discussed ways to improve bilateral relations, and they agreed to also boost trade and investment, and enhance cooperation in space and quantum science and technology. Uh, Patel expressed interest in opening the Luxembourg embassy in Korea, and Yoon welcomed the idea. Uh, Yoon also expressed his appreciation for Luxembourg's dispatch of a combat unit to the Korean War. Uh, Yoon stressed the need for the international community to unite against North Korea's weapons threats as well. Uh, Battelle agreed and offered support for Ukraine also. Uh, and Yoon also met with Leon Moyen, a 92 year old Korean war veteran from Luxembourg, who uh, joined the meeting with Battelle. And Yoon thanked Moyen for his contributions during the war. Now, in his uh, meeting with Kiro, Yoon and uh, the New Zealand. Um, uh official uh they discussed strengthening uh, friendly relations and expressed gratitude for new zealand's veterans who fought in the korean war as well both recognize the importance of tourism and cultural exchanges for future generations and pledge support in these areas now officials veterans and their families from 22 countries who supported the south during the war under the un flag were invited to korea to attend a series of events that's happening this week uh, to mark the 70th anniversary of the signing of the armistice agreement. On Thursday, the Ministry, or that's tomorrow, the Ministry of Patriots and Veterans Affairs will host a ceremony to mark the anniversary. Thursday actually also coincides with the UN Forces Participation Day that's observed in Korea to honor members of the US led UN forces who. Uh, fought alongside uh, South Korea as well
0: mm, and flying in those veterans to Korea and ensuring that they are welcomed and uh, treated with the greetings of befitting of a hero it, it seems to tug at not just heartstrings but it grabs our attention doesn't it we're marking the 70th anniversary of that armistice agreement, and so is North Korea although they have an entirely different spin on it uh, up north uh, another trilateral alliance strengthened uh, this is our second keyword of the day rare invitation so north korea is marking that arms's anniversary but by inviting russian and chinese delegations the fact that the war in ukraine is still very much raging on it is a rare sight to see the russian defense minister uh leave uh, home ground essentially
1: yeah so uh, this is basically kind of the uh, highest level delegation that the north has invited for uh quite some time mm-hmm. uh, ever since the pandemic anyway north korea has been under Uh, Basically a strict lockdown, uh, but there are kind of reports coming that those lockdowns and the border controls might be lifted Hmm. uh, soon. Uh, North Korean state media reports that a Russian military uh, delegation that is led by the uh, Defence Minister Sergei uh, Shoigu has arrived in Pyongyang. The Chinese Communist Party Politburo member, Yi Hongzong will also uh, attend the events in the North Korean capital with a delegation from Beijing. Uh, The visit is believed to be the highest delegation, as I've said, from China since the pandemic. Uh, North Korea celebrates July 27th, so that will be tomorrow, as what it calls Victory Day, which is the anniversary of the armistice uh, in 1953. So it's basically a a kind of different interpretation of that signing from uh, the South and North. Now, the anniversary events are expected to include... Major military parades in Pyongyang, so a lot of eyes will be on that as well, especially in light of the uh, recent frequency and stre- uh, stronger kind of provocations that have come out from North Korea. Uh, the delegations from Moscow and Beijing are the first public visitors to the country for the uh, Victory Day celebrations since Pyongyang closed its borders at the start of the pandemic in 2020. Uh, The visits also come as the North appears to have lifted its mask mandate this month as well. So uh, it seems to be easing some of those restrictions that have been put in place. Uh, Of course, Mm. North Korea was one of the countries that was kind of late to the game when it was uh, in concerns of uh, COVID-19 and relevant uh, restrictions Mm. and antivirus measures. Um, Now, state media also reports that Kim Jong-un has paid his respects to fallen soldiers uh, ahead of Victory Day. Uh, as well. uh, The US State Department, meanwhile, says China and Russia have a role to play in bringing North Korea uh, to the dialogue table. Is that an apparent uh, kind of hope that Mm. maybe that visit could serve as those North Korean allies maybe trying to persuade North Korea to kind of, uh, you know, lessen its frequency of those provocations? Uh, Mm. We'll have to see. But it seems Unlikely that such uh, relevant discussions might take place. It is a invitation by North Korea for mm. those two countries to come. So it's pretty unlikely that those uh, China and Russia will try and rein in the regime while they are visiting. Uh, Pyongyang. But there you have it. Uh, The military parade also, as Mm. I said, will be closely watched as well.
0: I mean, these are three countries that marches a beat of their own drums. But it's most ironic that they also have diplomatic rules. And it seems Mm -hmm. that they'll stick to it. You're right. It's at the invitation of North Korea. So maybe that hopes to bring North Korea back to dialogue and negotiation table. Highly unlikely, right? That's according to just about every pundit. We'll wait and see, though. That's the approach. Let's move on to our third keyword of the day. Impeachment rejected. So the Constitutional Court has rejected the National Assembly's impeachment of Interior Minister Lee Sang-min over last year's fatal crowd crush in Itaewon, saying that it's not necessarily the responsibility of a single person or a single element. Can you tell us the details?
1: Right, so uh, E, who had been suspended from his uh, duties, was basically immediately reinstated as minister after the court decision. Now, the main focus of the court's deliberations on the case had been uh, whether E fulfilled his duty to take steps as interior minister to prevent the tragedy uh, in Itaewon, and whether the government's response. It was appropriate the court said it was hard to believe that he failed to fulfill his constitutional duties to protect people or violated related laws Uh, it added that the itaewon tragedy was the result of many factors not a specific one Uh, the court did note that he made inappropriate remarks though after the tragedy but it was not serious uh, enough for impeachment Uh, he had been in hot water for saying a day after the tragedy that the crowd at itaewon was not worryingly huge compared with uh, previous years and that the disaster would not have been prevented even if police had been deployed in advance so of course that sparked a lot of Mm. uh, anger from the uh, public as well as the opposition party as well hence why uh, Mm. the opposition party uh, basically pushed for the impeachment now after the court's decision Uh, He did offer an apology for causing concerns to the public. Uh, He also called for a stop to partisan disputes over the crowd crush. Uh, The presidential office uh, blasted the main opposition party, uh, saying it abused its impeachment powers. So this, of course, is um, fueling some more political tensions as well.
0: But that very statement for the presidential office wouldn't necessarily alleviate political tensions, would it? So although the interior minister, the reinstated interior minister's wishes, we understand. I'm not quite sure if it's, mm. it can possibly be respected. Mm-hmm. All right. Nonetheless, he's back at his post. And on day one, his return, he headed over to Chungcheong province to visit the flood hit regions. Let's move on to our fourth keyword of the day. Growth forecast cut. So the IMF has again cut its 2023 growth forecast for Korea. This is its fifth straight downward revision of the country's economic outlook for this year. But it is in line with Bank of Korea's predictions, is it not? Can you tell us the details?
1: Yeah so uh ever since uh, July last year the IMF uh was the IMS projection for uh, this year was in the low 2% range mm. but uh, it is now uh once again been cut by 0.1% to 1.4% uh, for this year uh but this came interestingly despite an upgrade for the global economy so The IMF uh, thinks that Korea isn't doing as well as maybe uh, the rest of the world. Now, the revised projection for Korea, uh, as you said, is on par with the predictions by the Korean government and uh, the Bank of Korea, as the economy here is still reeling from higher Mm -hmm. interest rates and rising prices. Uh, The IMF maintained its growth outlook for Korea for next year, though, at 2.4 percent. So maybe some light at the end of the tunnel uh, and things may Uh, signs that things may start to pick up maybe in the latter half uh, of this year in but we are already at the beginning of the latter half of this year so maybe a little bit more down the line Uh, korea has been facing uncertainties from both uh, home and abroad including global monetary tightening moves along with weak exports Uh, the bank of korea for example is still gazing what the u.s fed is doing uh, trying Mm. not to kind of widen that gap between interest rates of the two countries even further because that will have implications on its own. Uh, The IMF expects global growth of 3%, which is up 0.2% from the previous announcements in April. It cited a restoration in the financial and banking sectors after being dragged down by the collapse um, of several banks, uh, most notably uh, Silicon Valley Bank as well, and Credit Suisse. Uh, It also cited an agreement on the debt ceiling in the US and recovery in the tourism industry, as the factors upping its growth outlook for the global economy. Uh, Those benefits uh, are yet to kind of um, come into fruition for the Mm. Korean economy, hence why the IMF is possibly uh, downgrading um, the growth outlook for Korea, although it didn't really explicitly explain its Mm. growth uh, cut for uh, this year. So um, they have it. Uh, Some uh, again, gloomy news for the uh, local economy, although the rest of the world seems to be picking up somewhat. But, of course, we'll
0: have to see in the months ahead if mm. any if there are any signs of a pickup. If there is, is some sort of a twinkle of a light at the end of tunnel, it is also the fact that IMF was quick to say that the world economy is also showing signs of resilience. That's despite mm. a sluggish recovery in China and despite uh, in lingering inflation. So mm. we'll have to wait and see what kind of effects that has on the local economy. As you've said, we're talking about climate inflation in our second hour, so not getting yeah. an immediate break. Yeah. Vegetable <laughs> right. prices are high. Um, consumer yeah. goods remain expensive.
1: <laughs> mm. I mean, there are there are reports of inflation, kind of uh, inflationary pressures, kind of uh, easing somewhat. Mm. But when it comes to things that affects uh, your everyday person, uh, you and I, for example, <laughs> things that matter to us are getting more expensive, uh, such as, you know, necessities like food and drink and uh, utility bills. So those are the things that matters. And those are the things that are not really being alleviated, unfortunately.
0: And with that, we move on to our final keyword of the day.
1: Israel Judicial Reform.
0: So the Israeli parliament has passed a highly controversial law that would limit the Supreme Court's powers. I mean, this is after six months of uh, protests over the controversial plan. Uh, it, 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 it really the ramp, the, the wave of protests and strikes we mm-hmm. saw was pretty monumental. So what is the reform about and what does it mean for the country of mm-hmm. Israel? Right. Well,
1: uh, the measure, which is basically part of a big reform package, uh, the latest one, is basically trying to uh, revise a kind of a kind of detailed clause within this uh, law of constitution uh, that will basically prevent the Supreme Court in Israel from overruling government actions it considers uh, unreasonable. Now, the far right government, which is led by the Prime Minister mm. Benjamin Netanyahu, says that the Judges have gotten too strong and basically need to be reined in. Now, it wants to reset several aspects of the uh, separation of powers between the executive, legislative and judiciary. The opposition uh, says the government is aiming to weaken the uh, judiciary and prevent it from being able uh, to maintain checks on the government. They're basically concerned that maybe the Israeli government might be earing towards an authoritarian and, um, government uh, but the government argues that the reforms are necessary to correct an mm-hmm. imbalance in their eyes in power which has seen the courts uh, increasingly intervene in political decisions uh, now the legal effects of the uh, legislation are likely to remain unclear for the weeks to come now as israel doesn't have a constitution as such the interaction of executive legislative and judiciary institutions is regulated Uh, by individual laws, Uh, the next step of the judicial reform is due to be voted on uh, in the Neset, uh, which is basically the Israeli parliament, as early as autumn. Now, if passed, it would give the government more powers over judicial appointments. Hmm. Uh, The White House, interestingly, which is a key ally of uh, Israel, called it uh, unfortunate that the law had been passed. So it is facing widespread Kind of concerns and criticisms, it's led to protests, uh, some violence, mm. and a lot of arrests have been made. And there's a lot of uh, labor strikes that are happening as well, especially um, uh, notably from doctors, for mm. example, and of course, business leaders as well. So, there are concerns that this uh, passing of the law or revision to this clause could cause some economic. Uh, negative uh, economic ripple effects as well. So we'll have to see how it plays out.
0: Thank you very much, Adam, for today's coverage. Have a safe day and we'll see you tomorrow.
1: You too. You're very welcome. Uh, See you tomorrow.
0: If you're listening to our program using the podcast service, just a reminder that we do go live Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Korea Standard Time. So tune in and help us make the show more informative by giving us your input. See you bright and early on Good Morning Seoul.